the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Nobody can deny that drugs have become a major scourge in South Africa. It's destroying an entire generation, but it's the repercussions of drug use that people need to take cognizance of. Joining me today in studio is Franco Risotto, and he's going to be chatting to me about his experiences within that very dark underbelly of drugs. Franco, welcome to the show. Afternoon, Chad. Thanks for having me. Franco, firstly, let's talk about you. Um, how old are you? Where did you go to school? Um, what, what, do you, what was your upbringing like? I'm 27 years old now. I turned 27 the July 10th of this year. I grew up in Lombardy East, down the road from Alexandra. I attended St. David's from the age of grade 1 to 10 while my father was alive. Often seeing my mother in Fairlands, in the Fairlands area while growing up, jumping between both houses because my, my parents were divorced. My mother had no um, a problem with alcohol and my father was really just trying to bring a family together at the time, which was quite a struggle. And at the age of 14, my father passed away. I moved to Fairlands with my mother and my stepfather. That is where I continued to grow up into a mature teen. Um, and slowly but surely, I found myself out of place at the school that I grew up with my father next to me every day because every day he was at all my sports events, supporting me at practices, at all kinds of um, sports events because I was very much into sports. I did multiple sports and I excelled in, in most of them. As well as my father also worked at the tuck shop. He he helped set up um, teas, drinks for the, the teas and, and coffees that the parents would enjoy afterwards at the, the sporting events. So having my father passed away and recently moving into my mother's house, I was torn between changing schools because I really didn't feel a sense of identity in either family from a very young age. Um, I found that that has been due to a lot of trauma that I went through as a youngster. So I had the option of moving into a co-ed school, which I found very exciting. Um, also choosing to be in a school where, um, I had the freedom to choose from like a certain schools that excelled in certain sports. I could, I could try follow those and pursue those career paths that I felt I had before me. And I chose Ram Park as the school that I'd love to go to. I still maintain that it's a very good school. I enjoyed my, my final two years because I moved there in grade 11 and 12. And it was then that I started finding that I enjoyed partying i enjoyed being around women i enjoyed this freedom that i never experienced in a boys school at st david's so franco let's talk about this because my guests must be wondering why i have you of all people on the show chatting about drugs because it seems to be something that a lot of people your age group have got involved in so for my listeners out there there was an article in news 24 um, not so long ago that spoke about franco celebrating um his sobriety off both alcohol and drugs at the time. And it was, the story gripped me because it described Franco's life, um, as, as being one, not of privilege, but of almost normality and how he fell into the criminal underworld and landed up robbing people to support his habits. So let's jump forward a few years because we, we've established that your dad's death was a catastrophic event in your life. It was obviously a massive turning point that you may not have realized at the point that you may have been hiding with the parting, etc. But judging by the way you speak of him, 
that was the major change in your life. How did you get to drugs? How did you get to hard drugs? And how did the crime come about? Well, my first experience with, um, let's say, class, class B or C drugs with, with marijuana was as a youngster at one of my, my good friend's birthday parties. We decided that they were going to get uh, a ton of beers and and a little section of marijuana. And that was the first time I ever took. And I, I cannot even begin to describe the sensation in words. I think you can only um, describe it if you have experienced it per se. For me, I found a, a sense of comfort, a sense of peace, not just within myself, but within my spirit, that all these years growing up, things were going to be okay. And from there, that was at about the age of 14, um, from then until about the ages of 16, I was dabbling with drinking here and there and smoking marijuana maybe once, twice a month, very, very casually, um, every month while going out recreationally or even during breaks at school. Um, not so much at at the private schools than as the, the government schools. It was a lot harder to, to hide at government schools because a lot more people are, are smoking and, and um, engaging in those sorts of things. And I found that once I did move schools, um, I became friends with a crowd that, like me, had a a very varied interest when it came to music, when it came to sports, when it came to, to uh, drug taking, which was very amateurish at the time. Um, I was I was now introduced to to having the opportunity to go wherever I wanted to go. I had a car from a very young age. I was able to drive. I was able to drink. I was able to smoke weed. And I was able to hide all these things because I was doing really well at school. When I did change schools, I found that the work that I did in the IEB curriculum, I had done in grade nine that I was actually doing in the GED, GDE curriculum in um, sorry GD in in Ram Park. So I found it quite easy to to maintain. Um, a, a level of really good schoolwork while, while being very active in, in social, social gatherings during school, before school, after school, on weekends. And it was then that I met friends of friends while out one night who were smoking what I heard at the time was Thai. It sounded very Thai white. It didn't sound hardcore. It didn't sound intense. Um, unbeknownst to me, this was heroin. Um, and a very dirty form of heroin at that. Um, it was then that I started doing it every now and then and slowly but surely as I started to enjoy this drug more and see that my friends were shunning it more that I had to choose between older mates, more freedom, doing a drug that I enjoy that I can't understand why it's so bad because I'm still excelling in sports. I'm still excelling in my schoolwork. I'm still. So you're leading a double life. Most you're taking heroin. Most definitely high functioning as, as you discussed with me earlier. Um, and I found it exhilarating because at the time I also, I also found it quite easy to to relate and to 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 share company with with people who are older than me who were working at the time who had gone through so many things in their life somehow i related and i was able to enjoy their company so easily so when did the crash come the crash came when i started smoking heroin i'd say after 3 months or so the the smoking hit a a stage of it was still recreational for me. I was still doing in my mind. It but was it, still recreational. it was beginning to take over. Yes, because one morning I felt the withdrawals kick in. And that, that was the day that I realized this is something I have to hide from absolutely anyone and everyone. Because at this age, I felt I was either going to be kicked out, neglected, rejected, or seen as absolute scum of the earth with no form of, of getting through it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear how Franco hit rock bottom and entered a life of crime. 
You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. I'm chatting to Franco Risotto. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard how he had a normal life and suddenly, before he realized it, he was addicted to Thai White, which is a very um, raw form of, of heroin, which is smoked. It's smoked. It's called Chasing the Jagan. And it's very different to um, taking either via the nose or via injection. So you now taking heroin. It's now become an issue for you. It's three months down the line. You've realized that the drug's taken control. You need to hide it from people. What happens that leads you to eventually becoming homeless and becoming a criminal? I went into survival mode. I went into survival mode. I think from a very subconscious part of my brain, I decided from a very young age that I'm in survival mode. My, my, I never had a good, I never had a good upbringing. Parents were never there for me in ways that they needed to be there, that I needed them to be there. So I need to look after myself right now and take care of myself right now. I've got my father's inheritance. I can work. I can sell marijuana. I can sell drugs. I can do what I need to do to make sure that I am continually able to lead this double life because I don't want to lose at the time. I don't want to lose what sense of respect I had for myself. I didn't want to lose the girlfriend that I was in love with at the time. I didn't want to, to, Accept that this is the life that I'm going to have to live and I love it. And how long did that last? That lasted about a week and a half with <laughs> withdrawals and crying and, and fucking emotional swings. Excuse me. I apologize. So sorry. An emotional outburst that I really couldn't control. Um, I was going through, through mood swings that I couldn't, I couldn't really control. So I decided, um, the first thing I'm going to do is empty my account. I remember it was 300 rand for 10 bags and that was my day's worth that I'll share with, with me and my girlfriend, depending on how much I want for the day. So your girlfriend was also an addict. Yes, she was. Um, she didn't know, know it for the first three months either. I was spiking her joints with the drugs without telling her. Sure. And I told her three months later, and that's when I also went into this survival instinct. Like I have to provide for her as well. I have to wean her off. I have to be her, her, her saving grace because this is what I caused right now. So I chose the first thing to do. I emptied my account. I bought, I bought some drugs enough for the day and I started to, to devise a plan in which to not only make enough for my drugs, but enough to, for my lifestyle. And did it work? It worked for a while. It worked for a while. Even though I was stealing from my parents' accounts. I was stealing 300 rand a day from each account. And within a month and a half, I had summed up 45K. Um, and I was using that to, to fund uh, different friends who were, who were dealing, different gents that I knew on the streets, in and around Windsor, in and around town, in and around Zanspreit, Honeydew, and as far as the south. Because I used to travel just to get drugs to, to also keep away from, from the heat because I, at a stage, was buying so much and moving around so much that I was thought of as a dealer, in my opinion. How did you land up homeless? I decided to put everything in front of, of like anything and everyone behind like my need to get a drug. So I was willing to cut all relationships, turn and betray everyone and anything in order to get my head for the day and then focus on everything last. You talk about entering a life of crime. Tell us a bit about that and then tell us what woke you up to the reality of where you were and what changed your life. Well, the first time I actually committed crime while on the streets, I felt so resentful and bitter at the fact that I flipped myself over so badly um, that I decided to jump someone's wall, steal their clothes that they had hanging 
and I that was the 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 quickest paycheck I've ever had because I I chose some choice clothing, some some quality brand names, and I made a thousand rand in under five minutes. And I decided from there forth that while on the streets, I'm going to try and make enough money to to somehow get a home and a house. And slowly but surely, the crimes escalated. It went from stealing clothes out of people's yards to to threatening people with knives, stealing their their handbags and and their phones. And then it it, it got to to um. To, I would throw uh, a certain drug on someone that would make them pass out, and then I'd steal their cars. I'd I'd go into people's houses under the premises that I'd be taking care of their homes, and I'd empty their houses. And eventually, it got to a stage where I did a kidnapping that ended in attempted murder, and I was on the run for three months. And I realized that this won't get any better. There's only way. There's only one way up, and you're going to do it in the right or the wrong way. And I needed to choose. It's frightening when one hears. Of a, a, a youngster who went to a very good private school, then went to a good government school, was functioning, great in sports, great in academics, lands up taking drugs socially, and you become a criminal. You become somebody that's prepared to, to use anything at your disposal to get that next fix. What was the catalyst that changed your life? The, the crippling fear I had within my heart that no matter how smart I can be, no matter how far I can run, even if, because at the time I thought I was being followed, I really felt like I was being followed and under observation. I thought no matter how far I can run, when I go to sleep, these nightmares, this will always be on my heart. This pain will always be in my heart. And can God forgive me? And I need his forgiveness. Otherwise, I'll never be able to, to accept what I have done. How long has it been since you, you took drugs and how are you keeping sober each and every day and away from drugs? It's been about, I say now, close to seven months. Last time I did was when I just came out of rehab. I found myself on the streets when I came out of rehab. That was the last time I've, I've taken, taken hardcore drugs. Um, since then, I've found that good friends, a wonderful woman in my life, a newfound, a newfound trauma counselor that has led me towards my, my God, as well as a lot of effort and, and belief from my side in myself, as, as hard and as scary as things are per day, has helped get me through this. Is relapse a constant fear? It, it is. It is, but I wouldn't say a, a fear. It's something I, I, I look at head on as a reality. It's not something that I need to fear. It's something that I need to keep in mind as an option because it's always an option if I give it that opportunity. Franco, if you could now, in closing, talk to Franco, who was 14 years old, what would you say to Franco? Forgive and forget. And what do you say to those people out there who have family members or themselves may have issues with drugs? What is your advice to them? I'd recommend if you or a family member are suffering and you as a family member or a friend want to, to give the right support to that, that member, approach them in a way that you have done some research on. Approach them in ways that doesn't alienate them or make them feel um, – like they, they not, that they're subhuman for doing it. Help them feel comfortable. And remember, it's a journey. You can't just help someone for, for one week and think that they are fixed. It's a lifelong journey that you need to be there for that, that loved one. You can't just stop it or that person is bound to fail. 
And Franco, going forward, are you prepared to chat to the youth, to chat to people, to tell them your story in the, in the hope that perhaps they won't follow the same route you did? I most definitely am. At the present moment, I'm trying to see what I can do and when I can do it. But unfortunately, due to the job that I have currently and the work hours, it is very tough at this present moment trying to balance working life, staying sober, new relationships. But as soon as I have got the opportunity to and a bit more time to, I'll be able to dedicate to that full time, which is one of my biggest passions. Honestly speaking, I'd love to be able to do it on a platform such as this and so many other constantly. Well, that's why I invited you to the show. You're very passionate about making a difference and you are the go-to story. If people want to understand the dangers of drugs in South Africa, they just have to look at you. From overachiever to common criminal to somebody who's having to rebuild their lives. Franco, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much to you and Chai FM. And I wish you well with your recovery. And for those that want to be able to contact Francesco to find out more about his journey or to perhaps have him come chat to them, if you go to the Confidential Brief Radio Show um, Facebook page, you can click on his name and it will take you directly to his Facebook profile.